We now continue with more of The Mark Milton Show with The Smash on 590 The Fan and 590TheFan.com. All right, you're listening to The Mark Milton Show with The Smash, broadcasting from the Miller Furniture Studios in Kirkwood. Today we have a special co-host, Professor Anders Walker, criminal law, constitutional law, American legal history expert from St. Louis University. Professor Walker, welcome back again. Um, I want to get your take on a story that came out this past week regarding uh, a book. It's a controversial book. I don't even know really who the author is and sort of irrelevant, but NPR picked it up and ran with it. So really, I, I sort of blame NPR for giving this person a bigger bigger platform. Um, the book is called In Defense of Looting, and it was written by someone who is a, a protester, BLM activist, who essentially has argued in this book that um, looting and um, rioting is essentially a victimless crime, uh, that it's a justified reaction to all of the social injustices that have occurred in America. wanted to get your take on it, uh, respond to some of the claims that she makes uh, in the book and and, in the uh, interview that she did with NPR. Yeah, so this book is, is part of what looks like a line of books that have been coming out, and they're really critiques of free enterprise. And so the whole idea of looting, according to the author, is it's justified. It's just the redistribution of wealth because, as she puts it, the very basis of property is oppression. That's Marxism. And this is, on the one hand, a great book-selling strategy. Like, people are, you know, reading this thing. The, the author is clearly an entrepreneur who knows how to sell stuff. But the underlying argument is something that really warrants a response, which is property doesn't necessarily equate to oppression. We have a property-based system because it encourages innovation. And what country on earth has created more innovation than the United States? Why do we focus on that? If you don't have private property, there's no reason to get out of bed in the morning and innovate. There's no reason, let's say you're Jeff Bezos, you have a good job in investment banking. He quits his job, moves to the Pacific Northwest, buys a bookstore because he thinks I can make more money selling stuff on this new thing called the internet. Everybody back in New York thought he was crazy, but he took that risk because of the reward. And now it certainly paid off for him, but that's why we have private property because it encourages innovation. It encourages economic growth without innovation, without economic growth, without property. How are you going to pay for the welfare state? How are you going to redistribute? How are you going to redistribute wealth? Well, according to this book, it's you just loot, and if that's where we're going to go, then civilization is over. And I think that's kind of a serious uh, claim to throw out there, as you know, as if people should take this seriously. It's crazy. Well, what's crazy is that you've had these kind of ideas have become not crazy and almost acceptable by a good percentage of people in this country. Look at, okay, the BLM movement, all right? If you look at their uh, website and some of their writings, I mean, it's very much consistent with what this woman is saying when it comes to redistribution of wealth. Um, In particular, you know, the BLM movement has 
advocated for very much Marxist policies. As you said, um, it is a Marxist movement, BLM, and the fact that you've got corporate America, professional sports leagues buying into this, I think is is pretty concerning um, as a as a quasi endorsement of this movement. Now, I understand they may not view it that way. They may say, well, we're, we support Black Lives Matter because we're tired of racial inequity and, and racial injustice, which is a totally noble cause. Like, don't get me wrong. But all of this has stemmed from incidents that no one can can argue, at least credibly, are, are, are specifically related to race. These The killings of, of the African-Americans that have taken place and given rise to all this upheaval. Um, there, there's no evidence to suggest specifically that these incidents um, are a result of racism, per se. And this is a point... Jason Whitlock, who's an African-American sports uh, commentator, media person, wrote an article, you can find it at outkick.com, where he talks about this. He talks about the dangerous path that the NFL, the NBA are on to basically embrace these Marxist um, ideas and celebrate, really, I mean, I want to get your take. I mean, they're really celebrating uh, the people who have been killed in these incidents as heroes, where in reality... Those people, um, while you know the police in most in most situations may not have been justified with the excess of the force they used, certainly these people put themselves in positions to, you know, put themselves at risk of being killed by the police. So one of the interesting uh, comments that came out last week was Christian Walker. This is Herschel Walker's son, and he's been on Twitter. And when we're thinking about Black Lives Matter, we've got to think about diversity in the African-American population in the United States. There are African-Americans who are conservative or moderate. Black Lives Matter— Not according to Joe Biden, though. They all think the same. That's what Joe Biden's comment was, essentially. Yeah, he, he was wrong. And, and I think Black Lives Matter is a great slogan because who can deny? Everyone can get behind it. But then you got to ask the question, well, what are the various organizations and groups that are using the slogan and what is their agenda? And I think Patrice Cullors, one of the founders, went on the record saying she was a Marxist. Okay, fine. Does that mean everyone has a Black Lives Matter sign in their yard as a Marxist? No. A lot of people just want to do something to address the racial wealth gap. What is, can fine. you talk about, as an American legal historian, really as a historian, what is Marxism for those that don't understand what that means and what people who are proclaimed Marxists believe? So the basic idea behind Marxism is that every uh, conflict in history boils down to rich versus poor. The solution is to do away with property. If we do away with property, we can redistribute the wealth. And the goal of Marxism is aspirational. It's full equality. There's no place in Marxism for innovation. There's no place in Marxism for uh, incentive. You just redistribute the wealth, and then theoretically, you won't even need the government. So it's kind of an anti-government position. What we have seen historically, though, is most countries that have gone down the road of Marxism have become totalitarian, because if you have equality, you don't need individual rights. Individual rights are tied to property. Property rights are closely linked to liberty, your freedom of contract, your freedom of movement. If you don't need anything because the government's providing for it, you don't need individual rights. And so you get Beijing, where everything's provided for. So why are people clamoring about democracy in Hong Kong? And what are these Muslim Uyghurs doing? They need to learn Marxist theory. So it's aspirational, but the problem is that 
it ends up devolving into totalitarian rule. Well, it has to, right? It, it either has to or it ends up devolving into complete and utter anarchy, looting. So let's redistribute the wealth without the state. Okay, we'll just start looting. And so European countries that are often labeled socialists uh, have all realized this. They've all actually abandoned socialism. And now you have France, England, Scandinavia going back to free markets, creating kind of social democracy. So if you go to Europe and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren talked a lot about Europe and the Nordic model in Sweden, Sweden is not socialist. Think about Volvo, Ikea, Minecraft, Spotify. It's all business. Sweden realized in the 80s you can't have the state running business and you can't tax the rich. The rich will leave. They'll take their money with them and their technology. You've got to bring them back. So now Sweden has the lowest corporate income taxes, I think, in the world, lower than the United States. A regressive income tax system because who do you tax to pay for the welfare state? the people who can't leave, the middle class. But then you allow the rich to kind of create businesses, new technologies, new jobs. That's social democracy. But it's not communism because everybody in Europe realized it doesn't work. And what I don't understand is how it's kind of roaring back now in the United States. We have people at Harvard and we have people getting these big book deals and they're talking about let's go back to communism. And I don't get it. I mean... It's something that warrants a response. And I think we're so used to just celebrating capitalism, we've forgotten how to defend it. No, that's good. And I think we need to defend it in aspirational terms. It has nothing to do with white supremacy. This is a system that works. And remember, before the pandemic, where was the economy going? To full employment. We had very high employment numbers. What if this pandemic had never happened? What wages were going up? We were actually kind of seeing some upward movement in terms of wages. We were seeing inequality go down. And let's not forget that, people. There's no, no reason now to throw capitalism under the bus, take down the Washington Monument, and just apologize. Well, I think part of the Marxist playbook is to silence the opposition. So what you see is anyone who's willing to speak out against things like what BLM truly stands for, against Marxist policies, against insanity like this in defense of looting is, they're silenced. They're, they're canceled. They're, they're called a bigot. Uh, they're labeled a racist. Uh, even though they, these people, in most cases, like what we're talking about right here, this is a completely rational discussion about what BLM stands for, what Marxism is, why capitalism is, has raised more people out of poverty than any other system, and to your point, why that should be celebrated and defended. And I think people are afraid to do that right now because they will be called a racist. Um, you know, and the other thing that bothers me about this article is, or the book and, and the NPR article about it, is it makes it sound like looting and rioting is sort of a victimless uh, <laughs> a crime. It is a crime. You can't destroy someone's property. You can't steal. That is a crime under our current system. And they make it seem like it's a completely victimless thing. And what happened you know, last week in Kenosha, you had a 17-year-old kid who, and we'll play a clip here in a moment uh, from his attorney, uh, the 17-year-old kid is now charged with se- uh, first degree, two counts of first-degree murder um, because he shot and killed two, quote, protesters uh, during the rioting and the looting that was going on in Wisconsin. And, and part of that, the reason he was there, now you can question his sanity for being there in the first place, but what you can't question is his right to be there. He had every right to, to, to go and help uh, his friend defend their store uh, as much as, as the, the protesters have to peacefully assemble. And immediately the media, uh, in the wake of, of the shootings, 
called him a white supremacist, called him a, uh, a racist, a Trump supporter, all these things with literally no context. They, they really didn't do any investigating or any looking into the actual shootings themselves. And we're going to play a clip here uh, again from his attorney to provide listeners with a little bit of context of what, what actually, at least from his view, took place last week. This is 100% self-defense, Tucker. Um, Kyle, um, he's a good kid. He's a lifeguard. Um, Kenosha was burning down. Um, actually, when he got done with work uh, that day, uh, he went to the high school with some friends to try to remove some graffiti. Um, after that, they got a call from a local business person who owns three businesses in downtown Kenosha. Uh, two of those three businesses had been burnt to the ground, and this business owner uh, simply wanted to uh, desperately protect what was left of his life's work, so he asked for help. Kyle and his friends decided uh, that nobody was doing anything to protect that community, and they decided that they would answer that call and help to protect uh, that business. Um, Kyle actually took a first aid kit downtown because he was concerned that there would be wounded protesters uh, downtown. Um, and in fact, he took a firearm because Kenosha had become a war zone. Uh, right. and any sensible person would take that. Um, and him and his friends stayed on the premises and protected that property. Um, and then uh, he, some events started to unfold whereby he was trying to uh, treat medically wounded protesters. And ultimately, he got trapped out on the street, out in the open, because the riot police uh, had moved the line far enough down that they were between himself and that premises. All right. So that's attorney John Pierce talking on behalf of his client, Kyle Rittenhouse, who again, 17 year old lifeguard who goes, uh, into the heart of the, the protests, the riots to help defend a friend's business. And, uh, later on in the interview, the attorney talks about the shootings themselves. The one has been made famous. There's the video of him getting knocked to the ground and, um, he turn, you know, he he spins around with his AR-15 and shoots both the guys who are attacking him, and that video very clearly demonstrates that he was being attacked and that he shot these people in self-defense. One of those two individuals was killed. The second one, who was actually wielding a Glock, the guy had a Glock uh, semi-automatic pistol in his hand and was was attacking this 17-year-old kid. He was actually shot in the arm and survived. The third uh, person who was shot, there isn't great footage of it, but what the attorney said is basically uh, people saw this Kyle Rittenhouse and his friends trying to put out a fire that was started by the protesters, and they saw that. They saw them trying to put the fire out, became enraged, attacked him. Uh, one of them also had a gun and fired a shot. He, he turned around and shot one of these people and killed them. And he immediately called his friend and said, I think I just killed someone, you know, call, call the police. Um, and then after this initial shooting is when you see him running away because the mob is chasing him because he had just shot someone, one of the, one of the protesters. So he's trying to get away. Now, keep in mind, his attorney also made the point that throughout all this, he only shot three people. Now I say only, I'm probably going to get criticized, but, but I mean, he shot the people who were legitimately, in his mind, presenting a fear of, of bodily harm to him. He didn't indiscriminately start shooting protesters, right? That's kind of the narrative that the media tried to portray. is like this is some crazy white kid who went out with an AR-15 and started shooting protesters. That's clearly not what happened. Um, but again, for these people to say that in defense of looting, that, that there's no victims, I mean, here you have a case where 
somebody was exercising their right, as you talked about, property right to defend property because we've had a complete breakdown in, in society in terms of uh, these protests, these loot, the looting, and, and literally no police response to it. Who? No one's been charged. I mean, to my knowledge, no one ever gets charged for the the burning down of buildings. I mean, that's arson right there. Uh, and it, the only person who got charged here was this kid, Kyle Rittenhouse, who's now charged with two counts of first-degree murder. And based on the interview I saw, I mean, this kid's not going to be convicted. I mean, this guy, the attorney uh, presented a very compelling case. I mean, he, he presented it very much like he would in his opening statement, closing argument. And I don't see how a, a jury of his peers in Kenosha, which, by the way, is completely destroyed by all this, is going to say that he wasn't justified in doing what he did. So I'll probably be canceled now, but I just I want to put that out there because when I saw that interview, I thought to myself, wow, that's not something the mainstream media has has put out there in any way. I mean, you've basically this kid has been has been completely demonized and called a you know, slandered, called a white supremacist. And it doesn't appear to be that that's the case. So this reminds me of the Johnny Cash song. Don't take your guns to town. It's dangerous. I agree with you. I and agree and with here's you. here's something a lot of people don't realize because they watch TV. They think, I'm going to take my gun to town, and I'm going to point it at somebody, and they're going to do what I say. Like, they're going to stay away from me. But you know what? People don't do what you say. And so this kid's got this gun, and people are getting in his face, and he probably was attacked. And I've seen that second clip. He's definitely getting attacked. I mean, he's on the run. <clears throat> and you got to be careful if you're going to take your guns to town. I think his attorney's probably right. Like, if you really go through the sequence of events, he's probably got a good case for self-defense. But this thing has now exploded, and now we're getting the downside of looting, which is, okay, now we're going to have street fighting. And now it's kind of moving away from the racial wealth gap or even stories about aggressive policing. Now we're just having brawls in the streets, shootings in the streets, and this stuff is going to get worse. I'm surprised there haven't been more shootings. I agree. And I think we're going to see more mayors just ordering curfews. We're going to see troops in the streets. We're going to be back to 1965, 1966, all those riots during the summers. And so at some point it's got to stop. Well, I and, and to your point, I, I mean, it's kind of like the McCloskeys, right? They may have been justified in, in going out on their front lawn with guns, but they're very fortunate it didn't end much worse for not only them, but you know, if if they had fired their weapons and hit a, hit one of the, the protesters, this kid, same situation. I mean, you got to kind of question the judgment to go down there to defend property. Is that is it worth? You know, nothing's worth. You know, nothing. No, no property or mo- amount of money is worth risking your life. But there's also the counter to that, which is somebody has to stand up and say that this this has to stop. Right? If it was my store or my you know property, I, I guess. I would maybe feel differently about wanting to defend it and feeling like you know, I'm completely justified in doing so. But again, now his life's over. I mean, even if he's if he's acquitted, this kid will forever be tarnished um, as a racist, as a as a um, somebody who I, I just it, it's it's unfortunate. And again, it goes to the point that not only the people he killed are victims. You know, all this lawlessness has, has created an environment where. People are going to get killed. I'm surprised, like you said, I've, I'm surprised more haven't been killed. People are going to get killed, and then the the aspiration behind the protests initially, which were to curb police violence, to try to address racial inequality, all that's getting lost. 
now it's now it's protesters like Portland are shooting the counter protesters. The counter protesters are shooting the protesters. This is the Wild West. And now it's like uh, a Clint Eastwood movie. And all of this stuff about what we need to address persistent inequality, which we could do in a variety of ways if we just sit down and talk reasonably. Now it's just becoming complete and utter chaos. And then fueled by intellectuals with big book deals saying, yeah, start looting. And everybody loses. The, you know, this kid's going to lose. The people who have legitimate uh, issues with inequality and over-policing, they're going to lose. And the whole thing is going to end up becoming a wash. Where do you see this headed? I mean, is it, I guess I'm, I'm just concerned about what we're seeing and I just don't know at what point will, do you think these, these, the looting and the rioting and the, the protesting will, will end? Because I mean, now you've even seen like in Portland, you've got a mayor who was basically, you know, completely allowing all this to happen. And now he's getting turned They're They're going after him. So it's like, what is the end game for this movement? I mean, is it Marxism? Is that? Do you think that's who these people are? They're not really upset about the police, but they're really wanting to just completely change our our form of uh, government and democracy. No, because if they were doing that, they would get out the vote, and we would start with not Joe Biden. We'd go with Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. And if so, there if there was a legitimate political movement here to move us towards social democracy or democratic socialism, which is what Bernie Sanders identifies with, fine, get out the vote. But they don't have the votes, and I think a lot of these people in the streets, they're just there because they want a party. <laughs> And they've been in lockdown, and they're ready to rock and roll. And so now we've got protesters who have been traveling. So there's this van. I don't know if you saw the story about this kid who drove from Portland, Oregon, to Kenosha in this van. And you can see this van. It's got graffiti all over it, and it's now become like a meme. And then he ends up in D.C. outside the White House. He's just on tour. He's like, it's a protest tour. He's like, and then he's serving food, and he's cooking. He's got all these people on Twitter following him. So this is just a carnival now at this point, and it's complete chaos, but these people are out there because they want to have a good time. Well, and and that, there's nothing political about it anymore. <laughs> well, I don't even think they're going to actually vote for Joe Biden. That's right. what I find. Do these people even vote? That's what I are mean. they registered to vote? That's why I find so perplexing the, res- the, the refusal by people on the left, like Democrats, Democrat leaders in these states and these cities, and even nationally like Joe Biden, why aren't they standing up to this and saying this is wrong? Because I think politically it's a mistake because I don't think these people necessarily vote. And you're only alienating, I think, the moderates, the independents who are sick of this. I mean, they, they're scared. The suburban, you know, the suburban mom uh, is afraid of, of what could happen. Could their town be next? Could they be the next Kenosha? And I think it's a misstep on the part of Democrats to not stand up and Republicans, obviously, because I don't feel like enough Republicans have stood up and said this has to end. Um, to not call this what it is, which is complete anarchy, and it's not constructive, and it needs to stop. So if you're afraid of your property being destroyed, maybe you need to take a look at your property insurance. So Kevin Kevin Wingenbach State Farm, sponsor of the show, provides my homeowner's insurance, car insurance, pretty much everything insurance-wise Kevin can do for you, uh, life insurance, whatever you may need. Kevin Wingenbach State Farm, you can find him at SoCo Insurance. Dot com. I used to use the uh, e-internet uh, insurance providers. Always thought I was getting the best rate and the best coverage. Came to find out in talking with Kevin 
Not only was I overpaying for my insurance when it came to my car, my auto, uh, my my property, but I was also underinsured in terms of my homeowner's policy. So if you want to have someone take a look at your homeowner's policy and give you an idea of whether or not you're overpaying or underinsured, please reach out to Kevin Wingenbach, State Farm. Again, you can find him at SoCoInsurance.com. When we come back, we're going to talk about the national debt, uh, another looming crisis in my opinion. We're going to get Professor Walker's take on that and also how it might impact your taxes going forward because this is the Mark Milton Show with the Smash presented by STLTaxLawyer.com and broadcasting from the Miller Furniture Studios. We will be right back.